Good to see you here today. You made it through the snow after a snowy week. It's quite exciting, was it not? We'll be back at the MIC, back home next week at 10, so I look forward to seeing you over there. If you want to turn uh, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 or on the back of your bulletin, we don't have Bibles to pass out today. As we're going through the book of Matthew, we are now in Matthew chapter 5. And if you're looking on that, we are going to be Matthew 5, starting in verse, we'll start in verse 21. And today's passage, as you can see, deals with uh, anger, the vicious cycle of anger that most of us can relate to. And as you know, anger often leads to broken relationships and conflict and issues and drama that we all know about. Before we start, I want to make sure I say something to you. No matter what else is going on in your life, I don't want you to leave here today without dealing with your anger. I don't care what else is going on in your life. If you have broken relationships, unreconciled relationships, you, you cannot leave here today without having some commitment to deal with those relationships. I don't know what church is for you, but if you think church is just showing up, singing a few songs, listening to a sermon, and then moving on, you just, I don't know, what, what is that? God is calling us to respond to his word, and we just can't continue to gloss over our anger, and we can't continue to gloss over broken relationships that may be in our lives. So I just believe God's going to do something today, and just let you know at the end, we think this is a big deal. We're going to have a time of prayer course corporate prayer we can pray as an individual but we're also gonna have time in the back where you can come back to the elders they can pray for you as individuals uh, the elders in the church can pray for you because this is something we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna deal with today by god's grace we're gonna deal with this all right so let's all stand i'm gonna read matthew 5 21 through 26 you've heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you were going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You may be seated. Last week, we finished with Jesus speaking about his kingdom followers having a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember that? Look back at verse 20, chapter 5. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
our ethos leader was trying to explain this to our group, so he busted out his iPad. It was awesome. He had this iPad, and he was like diagramming on there what it means to have this exceeding righteousness. And so he drew a line way down here, which was the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, which is basically nothing. It's just mere externals. And then the righteousness that Jesus is calling for is exceeding. It's way up here. It's his high bar line. It's where we have this internal transformation, this renovation of the heart that leads to this radical obedience, which is this exceeding righteousness way above and beyond what the scribes and Pharisees can possibly even perform. And it comes because of an inside-out transformation. Now, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to start hitting these six, these six passages, starting from anger to lust to divorce to oaths to retaliation to love your enemies, to show you how this exceeding righteousness plays out in everyday life, how this renovation of our hearts spills out into actual actions of radical obedience, this exceeding righteousness. Now, I want you to make sure that you understand, if you're taking notes today, if you're thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not taking the Old Testament and giving something totally opposite. Do not think that Jesus is taking the Old Testament and giving this brand new interpretation totally against the Old Testament that no one had a clue what he was talking about. No. What he's doing, he's challenging the interpretation of the scribes and Pharisees. He's challenging what they are saying the Bible says and how to live it out. And what Jesus is doing, if you remember from last week, he's taking the Old Testament law and he's taking it higher and deeper. Higher in himself that he is the fulfillment. Higher in the sense he's giving you the true intent of the law that was there all along from not just the, the law itself but the way the prophets interpret it. And he's taking it deeper right to your heart, cutting to your heart. Let's go deep. Let's go for this renovation of the heart where out of it will overflow this radical obedience. And the issue we're dealing with today is anger. And I know some of you are already dismissive. You're dismissive because you know you have anger issues and you doubt whether they can, there can be real change, right? You just totally doubt that. You've dealt with anger since you're a little kid and you just go off. And you've, maybe you've heard sermons before. And so this is your plan today. I guarantee you this is your plan. Your plan is to be in here, hear what Jesus has to say, feel terrible, right? You better feel terrible. Repent, and then just kind of hope for the best. I don't want to see a show of hands, but show me a show of hands. <laughs> yeah, how many that's your plan? You're like, I'm going to feel terrible, I'm going to repent, and I'm just going to hope for the best. Like, you don't really think anything's really going to change, but you're going to have some, I guess, some religious moments here today where you feel better, and then you can just kind of move on. But I think some of you are going to be surprised because Jesus is not going to call for self-effort. I mean, you want to go self-effort route, just go with the Pharisees and the scribes, right? And get this. He's not just showing you how messed up you are so you, you will see that you need forgiveness. He's not just doing that. He really expects you to change. Like, for real. And he doesn't just expect you to change. He's going to give you the path. He's going to tell you how to change so that you can break out of this vicious cycle of anger. And it is vicious. But we're not left to stay in it and hope for the best. He's given us a path 
So let's see it laid out in his word. Let's dive in this morning. Let's start with verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So the religious leaders of the day, they taught the sixth commandment. This is the sixth commandment. Do not murder. You murder, you're going to be liable to judgment. And it's not that the religious leaders that they're teaching alone was wrong. There's nothing wrong with them teaching that if you kill someone, it's murder. But they thought as long as they didn't kill anybody, they were totally fine. They could, they could have whatever they wanted to have in their heart. As long as they didn't kill someone, then they were fine. And so the purpose of the scribes and Pharisees quoting and teaching this commandment was not to get at the true intent of the commandment, but it was a cover-up for what was going on in their hearts. So they would say, hey, look, I'm not a murderer. Isn't that awesome? You shouldn't be a murderer either. And they're using it as a cover-up for their anger and the hate that was going on inside their heart. And so what follows in verse 22 is Jesus' interpretation of the law. Once again, it does not depart from the law, but gives the true intent of the law, which the prophets confirm. Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to to the hell of fire. So Jesus is saying both inward anger in the heart and cutting words as in insults would make someone liable just the same as there would be judgment for physical murder. Make sure you get this. Heart murder and tongue murder is the same as killing someone physically. And both of those are equal to the same amount of judgment. Now, can you imagine hearing this and the, and the religious leaders would laugh? They would laugh at you. You're, you're kidding me. I mean, you're going to take someone to trial because they, I don't know, cuss someone out? You're going to take someone to trial because inside their heart they, they wish that someone were dead? I mean, how, how are you going to do that? Can you imagine that? The, the, the council was like the, the Jewish Supreme Court. Can you imagine someone going before the Supreme Court? And they're, and they're like, yep, I, I wish they were dead. Yeah, I, I called them a bad word on the street. I mean, their culture was just as bad as our culture, where there was anger in the heart, on the streets, in the house, in the temple. As it is with us, there's anger and there's insulting words on our streets, in our families, in our church. Yes? So it's the same. But can you imagine bringing up someone to, for trial? And so Jesus is like this. Oh, yeah. You have to go to court. And though no one may ever end up in a man-made court for anger in their heart, they will come before the court of God. And they will be judged. And they will face the wrath of God. And they will perish in hell. Jesus said the hell of fire. I know we don't believe anybody goes to hell anymore, but Jesus is very legit here. He's very real. Anger, tongue murder, heart murder, physical murder, the hell of fire. And the New Testament confirms this as well. I mean, we have First uh, John 3.15 later on in the New Testament. First John uh, 3.15, he says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. And if you haven't clued in yet, maybe I hope you have, every single one of us are murderers. Every single one of us deserve the wrath of God forever in hell. And if it were not for Jesus being tagged on the cross with my murder and your murder, we would surely face the wrath of God forever. It's always debatable. You're like, okay, who killed Jesus? Did the Jews kill Jesus? Or did the Romans kill Jesus? Back and forth, Jews, Romans, Jews, Romans. I did. You did. It's your sin. Not just are you a murderer, but your murder put him on the cross. And he's bearing your sin. And through repentance and faith in him, we are forgiven and we will not face the wrath of God in hell forever as he was judged in our place. Now, you've got to ask yourself, what's the big deal? Why is God against murder? You ever wondered that in the Old Testament? Like, okay, he says don't kill, but why? Well, the reason why we're not to murder someone else, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the big reasons is that they are created. Another human being is created in the image of God, and they are valuable to God. There's a passage in Genesis 9, 6. It says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So murder is off limits because people are created in God's image. Whether it's physical murder, whether it's pent-up anger in your heart, whether it is insulting words that spew out an explosive anger, you are murdering someone who is created in the image of God. And so we have to do is we have to take God's view of human beings and see that they are valuable to him, created in his image, and we must not murder them, whether it's tongue murder, heart murder, or physical murder. They're valuable to him. Let me put it like this. Today is the Super Bowl. You know that, right? It's a football game. Most of you, I I, I guess, most of you want the Steelers to win. You don't like the Steelers. You didn't cheer for them all year. You just hate the Packers, right? You hate them, yeah? And I'm not saying, I know, I understand, you don't mean hate, 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 right? This biblical hate, all right? But just, just go with me down that road for a moment, okay? There is someone here today, very valuable to me, means a lot to me, and he is decked out in Packer gear. He's very valuable to me. And when you see him, you may, like, make some disparaging marks toward him. You may dog him. You may see the green and gold and starts making your temperature rise. You may get really mad at him. But I just want to tell you, that's my four-year-old son. <laughs> and there's a, there's a lot of reasons. That it's a long story why he's in Packer gear. He can go to counseling later for that. But I tell you what, he's valuable to me. You mess with him, you're messing with me. God has created every human, and they they are valuable to him. I mean, not to mention believers who are purchased with the blood of Jesus. And when we want to go off on them and and insult them, it's an affront to God. I mean, of course. I I mean, people, 
can be clothed in the packer gear of sin, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, there's this outward, there's this outward shell of things they may do, but they're still valuable and have worth in the sight of God, and our heart must be moved toward them with one of love. And it's a renovation of the heart that cuts deep down where it can spill over. And so that the commandment is not just, hey, don't physically kill someone. The commandment is have a heart that moves toward them in love inwardly, outwardly, with our words, because we have been changed. We have to have this exceeding righteousness that goes above and beyond what the Pharisees do just because they don't kill someone. And I just want you to know, you can see the intent of the law and understand that your heart is supposed to be changed toward one of love. But Jesus doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't, doesn't say don't murder with your tongue, with your heart, physically. But he also gives us some action steps. Something I learned recently is, is, is it's called a, a transforming initiative. It, it's a phrase I learned in this Kingdom Ethics book where the authors explain that Jesus actually gives a realistic way of deliverance. Because what you'll see in the, le- in the rest of these topics, from anger to lust to oaths to retaliation, on and on, you'll see that we all get caught in these cycles. Next week, we're going to see the cycle of lust. And for those of you who've been caught in lust, you know what I'm talking about, right? You just get in this circle. You're just, you're just caught. The same thing happens with anger. You get caught in this cycle of anger, and you want to break out, but you, you can't break out. And so what, what Jesus gives is these transforming initiatives, these practical action steps that we can take where God changes us by his grace. And, and it's, like, it's like a good parent. If you're a good parent, you're not just going to go off on your kids and, and say, you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Quit doing that. You're actually going to tell them what to do instead. You're actually going to correct them and then train them and teach them in the right actions. That's what Jesus does. He, he, he tells them about heart murder, tongue murder, and physical murder, and then he's giving practical action steps that we can take to break out of these cycles of anger. And, and they're in the form here, uh, uh, these next two verses, a uh, few verses, they're in the form of like these um, mini parables, these little stories. And the first one starts in verse 23. Let's look at verse 23. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Oh, this is so good. So Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? He's speaking in the, in the region of Galilee. So he's speaking to these Galileans. And, and, and this is what they're supposed to think. He's speaking to them, right? If you're offering your gift at the altar. So those in Galilee, it's all around um, Israel, would make it to the temple once or twice a year to make these sacrifices 80 miles away. So you're a worshiper. This worshiper goes 80 miles from Galilee down to Jerusalem. While they get there in the town, they got to hunt around for an animal sacrifice. They buy the animal. They go to the temple. They're standing in line at the temple. They've been waiting forever after they made their 80-mile trip. They got their animal. They're in line. They're almost there. They're at the altar. They're going to make their sacrifice. And a thought 
pops into their head. And the thought is, somebody has something against me. It's because I did something to someone. I offended them. I insulted them. I called them a bad name. I don't know what happened. Something happened where there's, there's, there's conflict. Now, here's the worshiper. He, he's got this moment right here where he can just go ahead and you know, get his, his sacrifice made or he can say, you know what? I'm not going to go through the motions of worship. Because worship is just not about what we do on Sunday morning. It's all of life. And so if I'm not reconciled with other people in my life, then I'm not truly worshiping God with all my life. So I will not go through the motions of religion. So the person is to leave their gift at the altar, leave the temple, travel 80 miles back to Galilee, attempt to be reconciled with the person, and when they're done attempting to be reconciled, go 80 miles back down to Jerusalem and then make their sacrifice. Do you think reconciliation is a priority for Jesus? Absolutely. And he's laying out this transforming initiative because guess what? As you start to humble yourself and approach someone you have offended with anger in your heart, bitterness, resentfulness, someone that you just have issues with, as you start to approach them this transforming grace of God starts to happen within us that changes us. And as you start to move toward this person that used to be so angry with, perhaps something starts to change within you of these actions of love. And you'll notice that you'll be starting to transform from this, this person you're against. And what you're doing, you're reframing the whole relationship into one of opposition to one of reconciliation. Rather than constantly thinking of this person, the one that you're against, you're changing the context, and it's one that you're now trying to be reconciled with. And when you approach this person, you don't approach them as, as arrogant, but poor in spirit, broken, repenting, owning your stuff, not pointing fingers, but saying, you know what, these, these are my issues. It doesn't mean they don't have issues. But you're owning your issues. You're approaching them. You're trying to be reconciled with them. And you know what? Maybe, just maybe, it'll work. Maybe that enemy will be a friend. Maybe that broken relationship will be restored. But you don't know that. Your job is to obey and go and attempt to be reconciled and leave the results to the Lord. And when you live like that, you know who you're imitating? You're imitating the Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers. Remember that beatitude? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons and daughters of God. Why would it be called sons and daughters? Because we imitate our Father who moved toward us when we were hostile to him in a reconciling relationship and sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us to reconcile us back to him. And those of us who have been reconciled to the Father can now move out toward those relationships that are broken. And, and it's not easy, and I understand some of it can be kind of, kind of tricky, and difficult. But what's amazing is that our hearts can start to change. If, you, if, you're, if you're in a marriage that is in conflict and you have such anger in your heart toward your spouse, when you start moving toward them with love, you'll see this, this melting of your hard heart. 
if you're the kind, of, the kind of parent that just goes off on your kids, if you will start moving toward them with brokenness and repentance and sitting them down and say, look, I'm sorry for the way, it will start changing your hard heart. If you got issues with your parents, you are so resentful toward them, you're just bitter to them, you start moving toward your parents, you will see your heart starting to change. I believe this is real. I believe these are real transforming initiatives by God's grace. When I was 21 years old, God was, God was dealing with me on so much stuff, I'm telling you. When I turned 14, my parents got a divorce. For those of you who parents are divorced, you, you know what that's like. But what I did, I got so angry I couldn't, I was 14, I couldn't even, uh, I couldn't articulate what the anger, where was that from? I, I couldn't explain it. I was just an angry man, angry in all areas of my life. And then I get saved at 19, and, I, and I'm just realizing how angry I am at my mother. Oh, just so angry at her. And I just couldn't even say why. And then God was telling me, you know, he was convicting me from his word. And he was telling me that I need to be reconciled with her and not to call her on the phone and say, you, 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 you. But to call her on the phone, this is what I did. I called her and I just, I just broke. I broke down. I repented. I said, I'm so sorry for how angry I've been. I didn't point the finger at her at all. I owned my stuff. And what I noticed is that God, I, I'm not kidding, he broke me out of that cycle of anger. It was amazing. As I started moving toward her with the heart of love and poor in spirit, something changed within me. And that was God's grace. So maybe there's someone like that in your life you need to move toward and, and watch God change your heart as you do. Well, look at the last little story. Not only must reconciliation be a priority, but it must also be urgent. Look at this. Look at verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. That's an interesting story. It looks like there's some uh, personal conflict that, that turns legal, and it's, it's probably over money because the person may be jailed until he can pay the last penny. I mean, maybe Jesus is encouraging us to you know, handle disputes outside of a court of law. Because, you know, once you go to trial, all the animosity that a trial can create, maybe, that, maybe that's what he's getting at. It would be very similar to what 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 says. But I think another way to see this little small little story in this parable is, is Jesus is saying, look, you must have urgency in your reconciliation. You just can't say it's a priority. You've got to be urgent about it. You see what it says there? It says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Don't let this conflict go unresolved. Come to terms quickly. quickly. And if you ignore it, if you ignore what you've done to others, you're, you're going to be locked up. Maybe that's a sign of God's judgment, like some type of judgment be coming upon us. I, I, I don't know how to explain it all, but I know that it looks like judgment puts the urgency 
in, Ricky, in reconciliation. It would be great if everybody who has these messed up relationships with other people right now would not just say, okay, yes, it's a priority, but you would be, you'd be urgent about it. And I don't want to stand up here today and tell you other people's stories of, of how um, they need to be reconciled and the issues that they have. I, I'm, I came here today to say, look, you know, I'm just going to tell you just some stories that, that of, of my life where I have not only felt the priority to be reconciled with my mother, but there was a time in my life where I, I, I'm not kidding. I've never felt so much urgency in, in being reconciled. I, I came to faith in Jesus 20 years ago at 19. And one of the sins of my past life as a non-Christian was that I was very immoral. I did not honor God in my relationships with girls. And you know what? It's like a form of contempt, you know? It's just, it's a disrespecting them, um, uh, a treating them as worthless. When, you, when you're in an immoral relationship, you know what you're basically saying? You're basically saying that that person's not important. They're not created in the image of God, or you're, you're just slamming them. So that, that was my, my pattern of life. And so I get saved. And this mentor guy who was mentoring me at the time is an older man. He told me, I'm not kidding, he said, you need to go and be reconciled with these girls. You need to go and ask them to forgive you. You need to say, look, what you did was wrong, like what I did was wrong, and ask them to forgive me. And I thought, dude, there's no way. I'm not going to do that. Are you crazy? But so as I, as I try to go about my business, you know, go to church or whatever, I just felt so convicted. Like, you better leave your gift at the altar and go. You better quit playing church and go. And so I felt this urgency within me. And so I started making phone calls. I started making visits. And I was so urgent. I mean, like when I would uh, see somebody, I would just just, blah, just confess and repent. I didn't care where I was at. Uh, one night, I, I don't know, I was at this, this movie theater. And I saw one of these girls there. And right as she's like a big old pop, that popcorn. And I'm just, we're going in the movie. She's, I don't know who she's there. Oh, she's, anyway, I said, I'm so sorry I repented. I said, I'm such a fool. Will you please forgive? me and she was like on a date with her future husband <laughs> it was amazing and, and it's what's amazing is that she so appreciated my repentance as well as he did as well I mean he did and that was amazing but God started changing my heart and breaking me and showing me the urgency of repenting and mending broken relationships and reconciling like I've never felt before in my life and I remember when I first got saved with my mother and with these, these girls I was so sensitive to the moving of the spirit when God would move in my life and move me to go be reconciled with others, I would do it and now 20 years later I just feel like I'm not so sensitive anymore. You know, I'm kind of slow to repent, slow to acknowledge my anger, and, and slow to acknowledge where I've wronged someone. And I really want that, that sensitivity to be back in me where I'm sensitive to my words towards other, or what's going on in my heart towards other. And I want to continue to have this priority of reconciliation and this urgency of reconciliation so that I can start to move toward others. 
This past week as elders, we talked about, we meet and we pray, and we talked about the priority of being healthy elders. To be spiritually healthy, right? Because if we're spiritually healthy elders, then we can lead a spiritually healthy church. And one of the things we need to be spiritually healthy is we need to be in spiritually and physically and all around healthy relationships. And that means for you as well. If there's anybody within the church that you need to reconcile with, you need to work on issues with, you can move toward them, not because you're awesome, but you can move toward them because God moved toward you in Christ. And now you can move toward others. If there's people outside of the church you need to reconcile with within your family, at your school, at your work, you can move toward them. And as you move toward them, you will see that your heart is changing from this one of anger to one of love. And I know that some of these relationships are so tricky. They may need, you may need some words of wisdom. You may need some tact. You, you may need God to give you some counsel or someone else to give you counsel because the relationships can be so tricky. But by God's grace, you need to start moving in that direction. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to start right now. Like right now. What I love about that story of that worshiper at the temple is that a thought popped into his head of someone he needed to reconcile with. I wonder who put that thought there. As you've been sitting here this morning listening to the sermon, you know, as well as I know, that some of you have a thought that is in your head of someone you need to reconcile with. Someone maybe that you did something to them, maybe some anger issues, insulting, uh, whatever it was, there is something going on. And they may be at fault as well. They may be 99% at fault. But you still probably own 1%, right? Is there a way that you can start to confess your sins this morning, receive forgiveness in Jesus, and as you find forgiveness at the cross of Jesus, you start to move toward others in reconciliation. And what we really want to do is just have this time of silence where you're just praying, you're confessing your sin to God. God, forgive me. Forgive me for uh, contributing to this conflict with someone else. I don't know who they are. You know who they are. And ask God to give you grace and power today to pick up the phone and call someone. Urgency. May God give you grace and power today to open your mouth and start to deal with something with someone else you're in conflict with. Wouldn't it really be terrible if you heard the word of God today about priority and urgency and you did nothing? You know what happens when you do nothing? Your heart gets a little harder and harder. But you start to move out. You'll see that your heart will be softened because you'll be poor in spirit, relying upon the Lord. So we're going to have a time of just silence, prayer, where you're at individually. And then we're going to start singing a couple songs where we all will stand. And there's going to be elders in the back. The elders of the church are available to pray for you. Maybe you need prayer for someone you need to reconcile with. Prayer for your heart of anger. And I know some of the situations are tricky. 
And then you're like, oh, what should I do? And maybe some, you need some counsel. But we want the elders to be in back today so that we can pray for you, so that we can break out of this cycle of anger. Don't let this just be a day where you say, I acknowledge my sin, I receive forgiveness of Jesus, and I hope for the best. Uh-uh. The, in the cross, we find forgiveness. In the cross, we find transformation, new life, Holy Spirit living in us, empowering us to move out and reconciling relationships. So let's take this time and go to the Lord in silent prayer.